0: Collins, and uh, it is great to be together with you this morning. Thank you, worship team. As always, we are uh, in our series, "Jesus Worth Following," uh, and uh, last week we were here and, and we talked about uh, owning the consequences of our sin and that and what that looks like. Well, today I want to—I just want to make a point that anybody who's been a Christian any length of the time already knows this, but that is that becoming a follower of Jesus isn't always easy. So there was this preacher in a small church, and his practice was every month he liked to go and visit various uh, members of his church. And on this day, it was time to visit one of the older women in his church. And so he went to her house, and she invited him in as always, and he sat down at the table, and she offered to make some coffee and went into the kitchen. And while he was there, there was a, a bowl of peanuts on the table. And, uh, he realized he was a little hungry, so he asked the lady, called into the kitchen, and said, you mind if I have a few peanuts? And she said, sure, go ahead. And so he began sort of popping the peanuts in his mouth one after the other. And, and you know, with snack food, it's, it's hard to to stop, right? I mean, chips, pretzels, whatever. You just, you just sort of keep going. Well, before you know it, the, the minister ate the entire bowl of peanuts. So the woman came out with the coffee and sat down, and he was feeling a little embarrassed. And so he said, Listen, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what happened. I kinda lost control there and I I ate all of the peanuts. I'm really sorry. And she said, Oh, don't worry about it. Ever since I lost my teeth, all I can do is suck the chocolate off of them, anyways. <laughs> sometimes sometimes it's not easy to be a Christian. Let's pray. Father, it is great to be together this morning, and thank you for this time, and we pray for your spirit to be with us and minister to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We're going to go to Mark chapter 15, verse 42. It says, it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, so as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Now, as you know, we've been in a series series. And the series is basically a study of the Gospel of Mark. And we followed Jesus everywhere he went, even after his death in this occasion, through, through the pages of the Gospel of Mark. Today we are at his death. He, I mean, Last week, I'm sorry, we talked about his death. And now we're talking about his burial. To just sort of recap the last week of Jesus' life, he entered into Jerusalem on a Sunday, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, to tens of thousands of people cheering for him and calling him the Messiah and, and praising God as he entered the city. Then on Monday, he returned into the city, to the temple, and he cleared the temple of the money changers, upsetting the temple authorities. On Tuesday, he returned again and got into a whole bunch of arguments with the temple authorities. Wednesday, he took the day off. He stayed in the city of Bethany, was anointed by a a woman and had dinner at Simon the leper's house. And then Thursday, he returned to the city in the evening for Passover. He had Passover Thursday night. They went out to pray in the garden. He was arrested. He was taken early Friday morning before two different trials, one at Caiaphas' house, the high priest. He was found guilty of blasphemy in a... Bogus trial, and then he was taken over, rushed over to Pilate to get uh, a, a conviction for treason, so that he could be executed on the cross. Pilate waffled, but eventually did uh, sign off on his crucifixion, and then he was uh, whipped. and By 9 a.m., he the crucifixion was started, and by 3 p.m. that day, he died. And so now it's sometimes between it's sometime between 3 p.m. and dusk. You see, for the Jews, the day started at sundown. And being that it was a Friday and, and, and the sun was coming down in just a matter of hours, Saturday would have, be, would, would have uh, started, would be getting ready to start. And so they called Friday preparation day because it was the day you got ready for the following Saturday, which was your day of rest, the Sabbath. And so Joseph of Arimathea wanted to get Jesus' body off the cross before sundown because if he didn't, Jesus would remain on the cross all through Passover. It wouldn't be until the following uh, Sunday would anybody be able to do anything about it. We're going to talk more about that in a second. But it says here that Joseph of Arimathea boldly asked for the body of Jesus. Now all four Gospels talk or mention Joseph of Arimathea. Mark says that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. That is the Jewish ruling body. That's like their Supreme Court. And they were the ones who ultimately made the decision to get Jesus arrested and executed. Now, Joseph didn't agree with their decision. But he was part of that body. John tells us, the Gospel of John says that he was secretly a disciple of Jesus. As I said already, Luke tells us that he didn't agree to what the Sanhedrin wanted to do to Jesus, and Matthew mentions that Joseph was well off. He was rich. Now, what makes his appearance before Pilate so bold? Well, it was unusual for a person who wasn't related to a person who was executed to ask for their body. That was out of the norm. Joseph of Arimathea wasn't related to Jesus, and yet he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. That was a bit unusual, and that was kind of a bold thing for Joseph of Arimathea to do. The second thing that makes this request so bold is that going to Pilate and asking for the body of someone who was convicted of treason was very risky, because you would be associated with that person in Pilate's mind, and so now you would be suspect. You might be considered treasonous too, and that was a very dangerous thing, yet Joseph, regardless of that, went to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. Lastly, Joseph was essentially becoming secret no more. He was coming out of the closet as being a Jesus follower. A new, new, new definition on that phrase. <laughs> Maybe that's the original use of that phrase. You know, we came out as Christians back in the old days when it was dangerous and it was risky to your life. Well, Joseph is coming out and he's, he's declaring himself to be a follower by going and asking for the body of Jesus. And that put his relationships, his peer group, and him at odds. He had a lot to lose in terms of stature and uh, reputation among his peers. You know, following Jesus really isn't all that easy, especially when you have something to lose. When I first became a follower, I was in my early 20s. Now, I'm, I don't consider myself the stature of a Joseph of Arimathea. I wasn't on any Supreme Court, and I wasn't well off. I was Joseph of Woodland Hills, <laughs> and I became a follower of Jesus, but I had something to lose. I had friendships. I had a circle of friends and even family members that becoming a follower of Jesus changed the dynamic of those relationships. It did affect those relationships. Fortunately, many of my friends, most of them, we've remained friends. We adjusted, we adapted, we've remained friends. By the grace of God, a number of my family members have become disciples themselves. But some didn't. Some friends were lost. There was a loss. There was something risked in becoming a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're visiting with us, one thing I like to do, I don't do it all the time, but one thing I like to do is I like to have some dialogue with you. And I have a question for you. When you, if you're a Christian, I want you to think back on your conversion. What did you risk at that time? What was risky for you in becoming a follower of Jesus. Yes. My relationship with my mom. Your relationship with your mom. Okay. Yes. My relationship with my husband. Your relationship with your husband. Yeah, that's a big one. Yes. Yeah. The family tradition was strong and you, you know, you risk being disowned by the whole family. Yes. Your friends, your roommates didn't want some weirdo Christian guy in the house now. Yes. You risked football on Sundays. (laughs) Tell you, I haven't seen the Indianapolis 500 in like 25 years. It drives me crazy. I used to love watching the Indianapolis 500. You know, we all risk something. It's not easy to be a follower of Jesus. Verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb out of, out of, uh, cut out of rock. He then rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So as the story goes... Joseph of Arimathea appears before Pilate asks for the body, and Pilate's actually surprised that Jesus is already dead. Remember, Jesus the crucifixion for Jesus started at nine am and he died by three pm. That was un- unusual. Normally, crucifixions would last you know, quite a bit longer, even, even into days. The Romans liked it. The more brutal and the more grotesque, the better. And especially in the case of someone convicted of treason. as a matter of fact, the Romans' practice was to leave people convicted of treason on the cross until they were literally eaten by the animals. And they did that as a warning to everyone else. They wanted you to know when you came to the city that this was going to happen to you if you did anything to violate Roman law. Now, this passage is very interesting to me because it seems oddly specific. There's all this detail about the death of Jesus Christ. Pilate's surprised. He asks for the centurion to get confirmation. The centurion gives it to him. He releases the body. Joseph goes through all this in detail. Uh, Mark gives us all this detail about how he was buried and the stone and the tomb and all that kind of stuff. And it really is quite fascinating to me that there's so much detail. And the funny thing is, is that critics... Skeptics read this passage and they find a problem. They they argue that this is a passage that proves that the Bible is inaccurate. And one of the things they say is that Pilate would have never given the body to Joseph of Arimathea. It would never have happened. And in fact, they would be right most of the time the Romans did not feel necessary to do anything for anybody uh, related to or friends of someone convicted of treason, except in a few documented cases. And these are actually documented. Historians have actually found records that prove this. For instance, in the case of a peaceful uh, 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 province, in Rome, if, if your province was overall peaceful, the Roman law was that you don't upset the natives. And so, whatever local customs they had, you generally went along with it as long as the people were compliant. Well, in the case of Jesus hanging on the cross, there was actually a Jewish law in Deuteronomy that said anyone hung on a tree, meaning executed, needs to be buried before sundown. That may sound weird to you, but in the ancient world, it wasn't normal to bury people. Oftentimes, they just left them out to be eaten by animals. Sometimes they would burn them, but it wasn't unusual to come across a dead person nailed to a tree or hanging from a tree. And that sounds grotesque, sounds barbaric. I'm not saying it isn't, but that wasn't necessarily unusual. What was unusual is that the Jews would bury them because of the command of God. And so if someone was executed, it was very important to the Jewish people to get that person buried before sundown. If you stumbled across a dead body in the wilderness, they would bury it. That was something that was very fundamental to the Jewish faith. It was a command of God, and it was unique to them. So when Jesus died, and surprisingly died quickly, at least quickly in, that, uh, in relative terms, I mean, it took several hours and it was miserable to die, but relatively quickly, when Joseph asked for the body, he was only following custom. He was following local custom, local Jewish practice there in Jerusalem. And at this time, even though there were lots of revolts and there were lots of riots and the Jewish people were pretty hot-headed and they were very nationalistic, at this time, overall, there wasn't a whole lot of conflict. So Pilate would have been obligated by Roman law to, to defer to the Jewish custom. Secondly, the Romans were very pragmatic They didn't want to cause a problem if one didn't need to be caused. And so knowing how nationalistic the Jews were, Pilate would have been very wise in letting Joseph take Jesus' body because he would have known that there were many people who liked Jesus and would be very upset to have him hanging on the cross over the Passover, over the Sabbath. Never mind it was also a Passover week and it was during the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Some of you that may not have been in the series, this may sound unusual, but the people that have been with us understand what I'm talking about. But never mind the fact that this was like a really special Sabbath. So the Jewish people in general would be very bothered that there were crosses with bodies on them hanging all over the place. So for that reason, Pilate would have been very disposed to let them get Jesus buried. Along, by the way, with the other criminals who were crucified with them. Those of you that know the story, it's a little barbaric, but they basically went and broke their legs so they would die faster so they could get them buried before sundown. Lastly, and you might remember this from a couple weeks ago, Pilate didn't think Jesus was guilty. So all the more reason for Pilate to let Jesus be given to Joseph of Arimathea. You know, Sometimes skeptics, they think they found fault with the Bible. They sometimes, they, we got it. We got it now. We found the problem. The Bible's inaccurate. Look at this little detail. And then if we just dig a little deeper, we find out that actually we can trust the Bible. That it really can be trusted. And so I want to encourage you to not be afraid of what the Bible says. You can stand on it. It has been in existence, the Old Testament and New Testament combined, for thousands of years, and it has been tested many times over by many smarter people than you and I. And it's still surviving and, and standing the test of time. We can trust the Bible. There's another thing I want to point out here, and that is when you read the Bible, it's always a good idea to ask why the author wrote what he wrote. Like, why did he choose to say these words? And I don't know if it strikes you as odd, but it does to me how much detail Mark goes into about this account. You know, all the way from Pilate being surprised to asking the centurion, the centurion confirming, Joseph getting some lemon, the body being wrapped, put in in a tomb with a big stone. I mean, there's so much detail surrounding this event. Have you ever asked yourself why? Why might Mark go into such detail on these specific uh, uh, references? Why do they matter? Well, I think that he wanted to highlight that Jesus was dead. Not mostly dead. He wasn't dead tired. He wasn't even critically, just critically wounded, but he was actually Dead, And five times in these four verses, never mind the one we just read about Joseph asking for the body, Mark confirms to us evidence that Jesus was dead. And it's evidence that's verifiable. And what I mean by that is people at the time reading this account, they could go back and confirm did these things happen. So Mark gives us some very uh, 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 specific evidence evidences for the fact that Jesus died on the cross. The other Gospels go even further and give us even more evidence, including one where the centurion there, to make sure he was dead, stabbed him in the heart with a spear, which is pretty sure he's dead, and then described that water and blood flowed out of him, water indicating that his heart had stopped. So Mark wants us to know one thing, and one thing that's so specific to him, Jesus was in fact dead on the cross. It was confirmed by Pilate. It was confirmed by the centurion. It was confirmed uh, by Joseph buying the linen. It was confirmed by the fact that he was put into a tomb, which required a, more than one person to roll the stone back and forth. And it was confirmed by a group of women who witnessed all the events. So there's this lawyer, and he's in trial, and he's cross-examining a doctor, and he's trying to get this doctor busted. And so he says to the doctor, before you performed your autopsy, did you check for a pulse? And the doctor said no. And the lawyer said, doctor, before you performed your autopsy did you check for blood pressure, and the doctor said no. And the lawyer said, doctor, before you performed your autopsy did you check for breathing? And the doctor said no. And the lawyer said, so doctor, is it possible that the patient was still alive before you began the autopsy? And the doctor said no. And the lawyer said why not? And the doctor said, because his brain was in a jar sitting on my desk. (laughs) And the lawyer, trying to to find any reason to to get out of this, he said to the doctor, but even still, doctor, could it be possible that the patient was still alive? And the doctor said, yes, I suppose it's possible. And it's also possible that he might be a lawyer. (laughs) The fact is... Jesus died on the cross. Friends and foe alike witnessed the event. It's indisputable fact. So why? Why? Why is it so important for Mark to drive this point home? Why does he want you to know that? Because Jesus didn't stay dead. He's establishing fact and a timeline. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. Verse, uh, chapter 16, verse one. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, "Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb?" But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. "Don't be alarmed," he said. "You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen." He's not here. See go see, see the place where they laid him, but go. Tell the disciples and Peter he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So Sunday morning comes around. Passover is over. Finally, they can go and finish the burial process. They kind of had to hurry up getting Jesus in the tomb. The women go back, and they want to finish the process. Jews had a very particular set of rituals about how to entomb someone. They didn't actually embalm them. They just used a lot of spices, and et cetera, to cover the... Cover the uh, the odors. And then after a year, they would go back in, collect the bones, and then they would actually bury them in a sarcophagus or something like that. So the tomb was kind of the the place where your body returned to dust, so to speak. So they come back to the tomb and to their surprise, it's open. They go in, there's an angel standing there, Jesus's body's gone. And he tells them, "Hey, go tell the other disciples, he has risen. Now, this is really cool if you're into this kind of stuff but Mark does something really interesting with the text here. He uses two Greek words and he puts them right next to each other. He juxtaposes them to make this point. The first word is right here, is right here, where it says, who was crucified. That word is saturo in the Greek. It's one word that means who was crucified or the one who was crucified. And immediately after that word is another word, for he is risen. And that word, one word, is, oh, I just forgot it. It It is uh, exerio, and it means he is risen. So Mark puts these two words together, saturo exerio. He was crucified, he is risen. He is making a loud and clear statement that Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose to life, and it's unexplainable. It's a miracle. It's amazing. And he just puts two words up there, saturo exerio. Look at that. It happened. Two words that don't match. They're totally in conflict with one another. But that's what Mark says. He was dead. He is risen. And then he does something even more weird. He goes on to tell the story, and we believe this to be true, I do, of the the first people who witnessed this resurrection, who were aware of Jesus coming back to life, were women, women. You say, why why does that matter? Well, because at that time, women were not considered credible witnesses. They weren't considered reliable. And so Mark, you you know, explaining and admitting, I don't even want to say he used it as as a technique. It was an admission that, oh, yeah, and by the way, it was women that discovered this. If you were a reader in those days or if you were a person that heard this story, you would immediately go, you're trusting the women? Really? You know how those women are. They can't be trusted. But I believe Mark is continuing to tell the story because it makes the point even stronger. The fact that it was women makes you go, wait a second, I need to dig a little deeper. I need to know a little more here. How can that even be possible? In other words, if you were writing the gospel, you would not say that women found Jesus alive you would, or resurrected, you would say it was a group of very uh, skilled scientists who did all kinds of tests. You would want to pad your argument. You would want to make it sound good. But using women doesn't make it sound good in those days. Forgive me. Don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) That's in those days. So the fact that he uses, tells the story of the women is all the more reason that causes us to want to know more. It causes us to go, wait a second, I need to explore that. How can that be true? You know something? God is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. In fact, he invites the examination. If you're new to God's word or new to your faith, I want to encourage you, ask the questions. Don't hold back. God is not afraid. Every question you have can be answered. But now let's have some fun because I love doing this and I love learning new things. Let's talk about these women for a minute. There were three of them mentioned. Mary Magdalene, who's really becoming one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Mary Magdalene is the only person mentioned at all three critical events at the end of Jesus' life. I'm not saying there weren't other people there, but she's the only one mentioned at being at all three. She was there at the crucifixion she was there at the death. I'm sorry. She was there at the crucifixion and death. She was there at the burial, and she was there at the empty tomb. Now, there were other people around, but for some reason, she's mentioned. The other interesting thing about Mary Magdalene is she became a follower of Jesus months, maybe maybe a year and a half earlier, because he cast seven demons out of her. And pretty much, she never left his side after that, even to the to the cross. The other woman mentioned here, The mother of James. We know almost nothing about her. She had a son named James, who happened to become an apostle. But even that James is not the James we all know as an apostle. There's two Jameses that were an apostle, and then there's a third James that was actually the brother of Jesus, the half brother. The first two Jameses are very well known. This James, not so much. Him and his mom, they just, they're in the background. In fact, we call him James the Less. It's so sad, James the Less. We know he did amazing things. We know as an apostle that's incredible, but he's James the Less. And then this other woman, Salome, also called Mary. Why everybody was named Mary, I don't know. They were all named Mary. Mary Salome was married to Zebedee. They had two sons that we know of, James and John. Now, this is the James we all know, the big, powerful apostle. Him and his brother were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. They're well-known in Scripture. This Mary caused quite a stir among Jesus' disciples about a year, year and a half before when she asked Jesus, actually, no, probably about six months to a year before, when she asked Jesus to let her two boys, James and John, be his number one and number two. The other 10 apostles didn't like that. I'm sure the other moms didn't like that. (laughs) But getting to know who these women were doesn't help the case, does it? It's like, wait a second, not only is it women that are telling us that Jesus rose from the dead, but not only is it women, but it's a sinner, it's a wallflower, and it's a tiger mom. Why would I believe any of them? (laughs) Yet Mark tells us the story. I'm reminded of verse. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I think it's so much more powerful to know that the source of the resurrection, the, the, the initial source, the people who revealed it to the world first were unreliable. They weren't credible. And it makes the story more credible. It's so ironic. No matter who you are, no matter what your story is, God wants to use you to tell His story. And the worse your story is, the better His story is. It doesn't matter if you're a wallflower, if you're a big sinner, if you're loud and obnoxious, all the better to tell the story. God wants you, as you are, to tell the story. But I'm a nobody. I'm I I'm a wallflower. I go to high school, I hide in the back. I'm the guy everybody shoves in the in the locker and and runs away. (laughs) Tell your story. You know, I don't know. I'm the mom, I'm kind of obnoxious, I'm a bit of a force of nature. I go around and boss everybody around and not everybody like tell your story. I'm a sinner. I've done things I I can't talk about. I'm embarrassed to talk about. Tell your story. We have a new friend in our fellowship. He's been studying the Bible, and I've gotten to know him recently. His name is Langston. He's in the back. He doesn't know I'm doing this, so I'm embarrassing him right now. (laughs) I'm not going to tell the whole story, but Langston has a very tragic story. He OD'd and went through a life-threatening recovery. In fact, they thought he was dead for weeks. But he survived a miracle of God. And you know what Langston does? He goes to schools and he tells his story. You say, yeah, but man, my marriage isn't the best. Yeah, go and tell your story. You say, yeah, but my kids aren't what I... Yeah, go and tell your story. You say, well, yeah, I'm kind of a nobody. I mean, geez, I'm from Simi Valley. Yeah, <laughs> go and tell your story. God wants to use you as you are. And the more you are who you are, the better the story gets. Yeah. So tell your story. Verse eight, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So the women don't know what to do. They're terrified. They're trembling. They're bewildered. And they leave. They leave the tomb. Like, okay, so they leave. Now, I know it sounds funny because the angel just said, hey, go tell Peter and the other disciples. I don't think that this meant that they didn't do that. I think they did do that. We know they did that. But I think what he's trying to say is they, they didn't talk to each other. The three women left and they just were in silence. They didn't know what to say to each other. I was, as a young kid, my brother used to pick me up from, I think it was preschool. He had a 65 Ford Galaxy, Krager rims, you know, back in the 70s. It was all cool and hot rotted out. Anyways, he picked me up. He was probably a new driver at the time and it was raining and we were coming home and there was this windy road, it had like an S turn in it. And we were going through and he was probably going a little too fast. He lost control and the car started to skid and we started heading for parked cars. So he corrected, and we skidded the other way, and we started heading into oncoming traffic. Then he corrected, and it skidded the other way and just happened to be where the road turned, and so, boom, we were right back in our lane and we kept going. And we said nothing. Both of us in the cars. It was that kind of moment for the women. They just left the tomb. Now, if you have a Bible in front of you, you're going to notice that there is verses 9 through 20 in the Gospel of Mark. But if you'll notice, they're in italics, and there's a little thing that says, these may not be original, basically. So there's 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 an addition to this book of Mark. There's an ending that scholars aren't sure if it was Mark wrote it or not, if it was intended to be there, or did Mark intend to end his book here? It's kind of a debate. So what they did is they said, here's where... The gospel ends as far as we know, but then here's this addendum that is historical, and it doesn't conflict with anything else the Bible says, so we're going to add it because there is evidence that it could be the actual ending of Mark, but we're not sure. We're only sure that the book ends here. Now, we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that next ending. We're going to conclude the series, Jesus Worth Following. I went back and looked. It's been over two years that we've been doing this. <laughs> We're going to conclude finally. Thank God. Wow. Next Sunday and we're going to look at those verses. So let's let's leave those for next Sunday, but just think for a minute. Remember when I said, you got to ask yourself why would the author do what he does? Why does he say what he says? I want to ask you and this is audience feedback here. I want your I want your answer to this. Why do you think Mark ended it like this? If that's true, why so abruptly? What are your thoughts? You're all stumped. <laughs> Bueller? Anybody want to take a guess? There is no right or wrong, by the way. We're guessing. Yes? Well, I think that, you know, those of us who have been disciples for a while, we've been in moments where it, you just don't understand, you know, and your brain is not enough. you yeah. got to give yourself time for God to make it. Interesting. You know, I've been in a couple of moments not like that dramatic, but it just makes no sense. So mm-hmm. you got to give time to make sense to you. Mark just ended it there to let us process. Yeah. Masood. Mark, I don't think Mark ended there. I think the scripture will been lost. I think there are more There might be more. But if, if he ended there, what might be a reason? Yes. I think the reason is because he wants, like he's looking at his audience and telling them, okay, so what do you believe happened? Interesting. Oh, I like that one. It's almost like a cliffhanger. Like, hey, what do you think? Yes. Perhaps, in kind of in the same vein. Uh, By leaving it like that, it kind of puts an exclamation point on it, and it just kind of puts it there, and it's kind of like a pause for effect, so to speak. A pause for effect. He just ends. Boom. And then we're just like, what do we do now? Yes. Two more. Three more. Go ahead. That it, it leaves you wanting more. Yes. Yes. I, I think maybe because the impact that it had on them, they left because they were afraid. I mean, in their mind, the impact. Okay, what just happened? And if this is true, oh my God! You know, what do I? What do I do with that? How do I process that? Yes. And they were left in this moment of just. That's a powerful moment. It's, uh, I listen to this podcast that I love called uh, uh, Hardcore History. And the guy talks these intense historical stories. He's a very good historian. He tells you the whole detail. And then like, he has these pauses where it'll be like, you know, and 30,000 people died. And then there's a sound effect. Boo. <laughs> and it's like that. Let's, you know, it's like, boo. Someone over here. Yeah. I think it's the cliffhanger. The cliffhanger. It's, it's one, it's, let's leave it here. So that you'll come back for more. Want more. We want, leave you wanting more. Yes. Oh, there's excellent writing, storytelling. Excellent storytelling. a show on TV, this could have been a great season finale. Right. A great season. <laughs> I love that. Season finale. Yes. Also, it would be so easy for him to just say, okay, that Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples. So by doing this, he's making them believe. Yes, it's almost like you, you, the, you don't want the status quo ending. You almost want it like that to make you, it pushes you towards faith. One last one. Or, okay, we'll keep going. Yeah. He ran out of paper. Out of paper. <laughs> or ink. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I know what I feel is that when I realized that Jesus died in the cross, that I was actually afraid. Yeah. Yes, you kind of relate to the yeah. feeling of fear and trembling. Yes. Awesome. Daniel. some, are, some probably Yeah, the manuscript might have gotten lost or torn up. That's right. Very possible. Okay. Now, some people, some scholars will say, well, he wants you to finish the story with your story. It ends with this story, and now you write your own story, right? I like what a number of you said. I think he wanted us to end where they ended, in fear and trembling. If it's true, if this is true, he wanted us to end with fear and trembling and trembling. Think about it. Sunday, Jesus entered the tomb. They're, they're like, yeah, the Messiah, and they're in his entourage. They're like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. You know, uh, Tiger Mom's over there, yeah, James 1 and 2, you know, and all that's going on. They're all excited. He gets into these arguments Monday and Tuesday. They're like, yeah, Jesus, you're doing it. It's great. Everybody loves you. And then He's crucified. He's arrested. He's crucified. And now they're running for their lives two days later, hiding and all that. And then he resurrects. And you're just left in awe. And that's where I want to leave you today. In awe of the story of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. It is awesome. I'll see you next Sunday, 1030, when we conclude the series. God bless you.